You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Let's go to God's Word and um, see what He has for us today. And we're reminded that as we open up Scripture, uh, we're hearing from God. It's so easy to feel isolated from God at times and to want to hear from Him. We have a God who speaks, and He is a living God, and and here we see that he invites us into his um, wonderful rest. Let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. And again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is God's word. Well, if you've ever felt like, I know somewhere, someplace God says this, I don't know the verse, you're not alone. <laughs> right, I love that. I love just the, the honesty there. The, the, the writer of uh, this passage is, he's quoting God. Uh, not giving specific references or where it was said or who said it, but knowing that this is truth from God. Uh, there's something true about me um, and I, think it's also true about you. I'm just, I'm going out here on a, on a guess that we are tired, that we are all tired. Most of us probably are. I don't have any special insight into your sleep habits or, or your week. Some of you have shared a little bit of the, your week, but for most of you, I don't know how your week has been, but, but I'm imagining that many of you fall into the majority of the population whose quality of sleep is incredibly deficient, and has declined significantly in the last two years. Among the various disruptions that uh, the COVID pandemic has caused, many scientific studies are showing that insomnia is one of those big consequences of the last couple years. That's probably no surprise to you. Quality of sleep was difficult for many before the pandemic and only made it worse for so many others. But studies are showing that the quality of sleep has taken a nosedive in the last two years. 
The consumption of sleeping pills has skyrocketed. Antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and alcohol use, all of these things going up, trying to bring some comfort, some rest. All this is related in part to the the stress uh, being in the midst of a public health crisis and changes to our daily habits and our living for most of us because of lockdowns and school closures, new responsibilities at work or even loss of employment, uh, new challenges, lots of uncertainty, frustration, anger, division, disagreements, all of that contributing to a, a decrease in our quality of rest and sleep. Or maybe you're just staying up at night and watching four hours of Netflix. I don't know what your thing is. And you're just tired. You know what else has spiked in the last two years? Car accidents as a result of people falling asleep at the wheel. People are tired. Uh, And all these are signs are pointing to the reality that most people are struggling to sleep. And the tragedy is not only in the fact that people are struggling to sleep, It's the effect of the low quality of sleep that it has on our health and and our functioning. We know that extended seasons of poor sleep, less than seven hours, less than seven hours is poor sleep. We know that it increases depression, anxiety, heart disease, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. So there's not just a shortage of sleep where you're seeing an increasing and growing population of a shortage of rest. The ability to rest, to take a break from all of our work. And that work can be with our, the labor of our hands, but also the laboring of our mind and our emotions and all the trouble that we carry inside of our, of our body. But what we see in, in this passage is a group of weary Christians who are so affected by the disruptions of life and the external circumstances in their life that they are in danger of giving up. They're in danger of throwing their hands up, and they are tired, and they are weary. And so what do they need? And, and what do we need as we receive this word? It's pretty obvious our, what our passage wants to get across. Uh, eight times in 11 verses, this concept of rest is available to us. This rest, this uh, this present rest, this future rest, this deep soul rest that is available to us because of what God has done and what he speaks to us. And so we see the concept of rest here in our passage, here in a few ways for our journey this morning. We're going to see the responsibility to rest. We see the two different kinds of rest, and then we see the way to rest. How can we do it? Those are good things for us today. Let's start. The responsibility to rest. So chapter Four starts out with this warning as you see it, uh, as the writer um, gives this warning, and it's based on Israel's failure, the people of God, the Israel people, um, after their rescue from Egypt and slavery in Egypt for 400 years, they're rescued into, you know, the Exodus story uh, from slavery and oppression, and they are wandering in the desert, and this is talking about how God's provided for them and their journey to the promised land. The promised land was a place of rest, rest from their um, slavery and oppression, uh, rest from not having a place of their own or always wandering, a place of rest and worship. And it quickly compares their situation with um, the present day people of the writer, the situation of the believers of this day. And here's the situation. Israel's enslaved for 400 years. 
They are delivered from slavery by the mighty hand of God. They've witnessed the 10 plagues on Egypt and on Pharaoh and his army. They witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, They witnessed God's um, leadership and guidance throughout the wilderness and a pillar of, of, of smoke and fire. And the journey from Egypt to the promised land was a journey that was supposed to take 11 days. And you know it took 40 years. <laughs> 11 days was the journey that it was supposed to take. And they were there after 11 days on the edge of Canaan, the promised land that God had delivered to them. And he tells them as they come to the edge of this land and they look into the land and there's people already there and these are mighty people. These are scary looking people. These are gigantic people with a large army and they are afraid to enter into that land of rest. And God says, don't be afraid. I have delivered them into your hands. Go and take it, it's yours. And they say, hard pass, no deal, too risky. We didn't come out of slavery just to die at the hands of enemies and people we've never met. It's too unpredictable. It's too scary. It's too messy. It's too, there's too many factors here that we can't control. We don't want to do it. And so God punished them for their lack of belief in his promise. And a journey that would take 11 days turned into 40 years. An entire generation of people failed to enter into the rest of God because of a lack of faith in his promise. And our passage says, don't let that happen to you. And so the warning is, let us fear so that this doesn't happen to us. What does that look like? What is that fear? What's the responsibility here? Fear in this passage doesn't mean a, a general reverence for God. It doesn't mean a, a trembling kind of in our in self and this timidity. It doesn't mean even a call to humility or patience or meekness. It is a warning to be careful to take advantage of the means of God's grace in order to avoid unbelief and disobedience. It is a warning that we, as God's grace is provided to us, make sure you take advantage of that means of grace so that you don't slip into a pattern. You don't drift into disobedience. You don't drift into unbelief. You don't drift into carelessness. The writer of Hebrews has already talked a little bit about this. Be careful how you walk. Be careful what you think about. Be careful about what things you let influence your life because these things happen slowly. We drift away from the heart of God. And so here he's saying the same thing. What did God give uh, his people immediately after he rescued them from Egypt? They, they, they travel a couple days into the wilderness and they go to Mount Sinai and God gives them the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments were not given to be obeyed for their redemption. It was given actually after their redemption to be identified as a people of God who enjoy God and live in the holiness of God, enjoying the rest and the the peace and the love of God that he had rescued them for. Do you realize that the the Ten Commandments, that the commandment to rest is in the Ten Commandments? And yet, we live in a society and have had our values shaped by a society that that compensates and affirms and encourages and values overworking. And to be tired from your work all the time is a virtue. 
that we value in our culture. And this is exactly what happened to the Israelites. The result of unbelief and restlessness. This is the punishment they received because God gave them within the Ten Commandments, you will work six days and you will rest on the seventh. This is a provision for you, a means of my grace so that you can enjoy me and so that you are not a slave to your labor, so that your identity is not shaped by your accomplishments, so your identity isn't rooted in your status. Lay down your tools and enjoy me and rest. God swore, because they did not obey God and they did not believe God, God swore that they would never enter his rest. This is a picture of a life of endless weariness and endless tiredness. It's not a, it's a, that's a tough picture. You will never enter my rest. And that's the, the main point of the opening is to, to fear unbelief. The main point is a good godly warning to us that the provisions that God has given to us so that we may live obedient lives of belief and trust in him and enjoying the provisions that he's given to us to guard against unbelief that we ought to, we ought to obey those things. We ought to take advantage of those things. We ought to be careful to not neglect them. We want to take seriously disobedience, to be mindful of the ways that we're prone to be disobedient to God, to play pay close attention to this exhortation to rest, to believe in God and the rest that he provides. And so that's the the responsibility, right? The passage goes on, there's much more in that, but first we see this responsibility that God has called us into rest, just like he called his people into rest. But we're reminded of this responsibility and there's there's different kinds of rest. And that's why this passage, if you had a hard time following along with like the sentence structure, Believe me, I had a hard time kind of reading through it and had to take a little extra time and slowly read it because it's hard to figure out what's going on. It's difficult to follow the writer's reasoning in this. What's he talking about? And that's because he's talking about rest in different ways. Let's take a look one by one, just a couple different ways, the two different kinds of rest that he talks about in verse three. For we who have believed entered that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so here, this is God warning the children of Israel that if they keep rebelling against God, they will never enter their rest. And he's saying specifically, they will never enter Canaan. You will never occupy that land that I've given to you. You'll never enter that place where you'll be free from the toil of, your, of, of oppression and slavery. And so be careful. So it's always talking about that. Whenever the Bible uh, in the Old Testament in in Deuteronomy um, and uh, through the Exodus story and in the book of Joshua, who is the commander of God's army kind of going into Canaan, whenever it talks about rest, it's talking about Canaan. And it's talking about entering into that place of rest. And where they would no longer be oppressed, but they would be God's rescued people living in freedom to worship God as, as he called them to. It anticipates a rest from hostility and oppression and fighting and instability in the life of the desert where there was a shortage of food and water and comfort. All the hardships of just people living without a home. That's what it's talking about. 
But there is a, a second concept of rest that this passage talks about, and it's a future rest that isn't merely earthly, but something else. Let's look at verse four to nine. And I actually want to read that again, and you can follow along four to nine. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, See, it remains for some to enter it. He's talking about people in the modern day there. So it's post-Exodus. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Forever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. There's a different kind of rest. There's a rest that is for us. There's a rest that God is inviting us into. There's a rest that is future. There's a rest that we, and even some, he said, you've already entered into that rest. And there's also a rest in the future sense. As soon as the Sabbath commandment is introduced, we are told why. The basis of our rest is that God rested. He created the universe in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now think about this. If you, keep, if you see somebody who just keeps pushing themselves, never rests, never takes time off, um, always going, even when they take a day off, they're still finding something to do, to labor at. They, they, there's never a moment to rejuvenate, it might be a spouse, a friend, a coworker, or a family member. The primary reason for encouraging them to take a break is usually you're, you're going to burn out. Usually that's why. It's like you're going to burn out. You're going to break if you don't stop. But, but here's why we're told to rest. This isn't the main reason why we are told to pursue rest. Mere rejuvenation is not the purpose for taking a break from our work. How do we know? Here's the fascinating thing. God rested from his work, and yet he is, he's, not, he's not capable of being worn out. The purpose for God resting wasn't because if he didn't, he would, he would be burnt out. He wouldn't grow tired. My favorite verses in all the Bible uh, the, says this, the Lord is the everlasting God, the maker of heaven and earth. He does not grow weary. He does not faint. God cannot get tired. He doesn't need a day off. He doesn't need to take a nap. He created the universe and he wasn't tired. And then he took a Sabbath. He rested. He doesn't become exhausted and yet he still rested. You know, I shed the day when I come home. I, I walk through the door and before the door closes behind me, I'm just like, you know, keys, wallet, every, everything's coming out. My wife loves it because there's like a trail of Pete. <laughs> Put my PJs on. 5.30, my PJs are on. And I'm just like done, right? We have this little cubby where everything just kind of goes, but I don't use it. I put, I put it all around the house. Um, you ever have a day like that? You ever need that? You ever feel like, okay, I need to shed the day. Like physically, I need to shed the day. God never feels that way. God has never had a need to do that. He never shed, he never is exhausted. He doesn't grow weary, he doesn't get tired, he doesn't need to rejuvenate, but he still rests. Why? He rests to enjoy his creation. Joy. 
was the motivation for his rest. Deep satisfaction was the motivation behind why God rested. And he creates us in his image and says, you are like me. I am making you like me. Be like me. Rest like me. Not merely so that you won't break, but so that you will grow in the joy of what it's like to have communion and rest with me. The purpose of rest is not merely to recover for more work on Monday. I need to take a break because I got a busy week coming up. That is not why we rest. The purpose of rest, like every command of God, is to enjoy him to enjoy life in general, to enjoy God and all of his blessings specifically. The freedom from slavery, the freedom from the bondage of our work of performance. So here's what the writer of Hebrews is inviting his readers to consider. There's a level of rest that goes deeper than the body that God has purposed for you. Yes, we as like, we are not eternal, like we are, We need to sleep. It's a reminder of our temporary status on this earth. We die every, a little bit every, every night. When we go to sleep, it's like a death. And, and one day we will die. And there's a rest that goes beyond the level of, of the body. It is a promised rest of God in terms of the full satisfaction of joy that comes to those who truly believe and trust in Jesus, his son. And in verse 11, the writer says, Let me, let's make every effort to make sure that we enter into that rest. A rest that goes below the surface of the body a rest that goes deep into the soul and touches everything in our life and everything that we do, a deep satisfaction in the work of Jesus for us. Eternal rest, salvation, redemption. And so he says, let's make every effort to do that. Let's work hard to do that. Now this sounds like a works-based, it can sound like a works-based salvation, but it's actually quite the opposite. Effort is not the same thing as earning. He doesn't say, let's make every effort, let's, let's like make every, let's put all our energy into making sure that we earn this rest that God has given to us. No, he says, let's make every effort to enter into that. To earn our eternal rest would be like, pick up your tools, get to work, and work hard to accomplish your salvation. To put effort into entering that rest is like putting your tools down. Lay down your tools that you have been using for your own spiritual striving and to rest in the joy of God's grace, which gives you a deep, soul-satisfying rest. One is like a picking up of all those tools to work, and one is a laying down. And so to strive to enter into rest is actually like to practice not working, because it's not easy. Have you realized how hard it is to not work? It's hard work to try not to work. We're always working. Our minds are always going. We're always striving. We're always analyzing external information and stimulus. We're always analyzing comments. We're always assessing our approval with others. We're always wondering where we stand in the universe and with God and with our, our, our colleagues and our family members and our friends. 
We're always striving. We're always feeling guilty and shame because of our failures. It's an act of faith that causes us to stop this anxious striving and to instead rest in Christ's work on our behalf. To have this kind of faith is an attitude of trusting God wholeheartedly. And the writer of Hebrews says, let's work hard to make sure we enter into that kind of relationship with God where we are not striving anymore for his love. We're not striving for his acceptance. We're not working in the world for the approval of others. Sounds great, doesn't it? How do we do it? I have no idea. Let's come back to next week. But God, God actually tells us. I actually need to tell you, I chuckled at this point of the, of the sermon as I was preparing it and writing it out, especially when I thought of this third heading, The Way to Rest. And as I wrote out the heading, The Way to Rest, I kind of laughed out loud because my inner voice said, what do you know about that? And I think that's the point. It's like, yeah, not, not a whole lot. What do you know about that? This sermon's for me, it's, it's for us. And I don't have to be qualified in this principle because I didn't write it. <laughs> this isn't my, these aren't my thoughts. These are God's, God's thoughts, his invitation. But nonetheless, God is showing us the way, and he shows us through a common verse that I've never seen in this way before um, until having kind of dug into it this week. Let me read the verse, and then I'll show you what's happening here in verse 12. This is a familiar verse to a lot of us. One of my favorite in all the Bible, and maybe one common to you as well. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What is a passage about the Bible doing in a paragraph about rest? So I, I pull this passage out all the time, and I'm like, this is, this is a passage used as an apologetic for the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, for the inspiration of Scripture, for the holiness of God's Word and the truth of God's Word, for the authority of God's Word, uh, for the way the Holy Spirit changes us through His Word. And that is all true. But what on earth does it have to do with rest? Here's what's happening. You remember the original warning to enter into God's rest and the Israelites failed to do that? Let me come back to that because this is related to it. So he said, don't be like the Israelites who failed to do it, but disobeyed me. Their act of disobedience was this. They said, we don't want to go in there empty-handed. We we're afraid. And so God said, okay, you're not going to enter in my, to my rest. And they say, okay, we changed our mind. But let's go in there and everybody grab your swords. Everybody grab your weapons. And God, and God said, that's not how I told you to go in. You go in. I've delivered them into your hands. But they say, no, nah, we're going to go in and we're going to fight. We're going we're gonna to go to battle. And they got defeated. They were slaughtered. They picked up their swords the, 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 to go in and to fight and to do things their way. And they were scared. And God says this, if you go in there with your sword, you will die by your sword. And you will not enter into rest. And they did. They died. They were slaughtered by their enemies. Many were killed. Now the author is saying, you need to enter into God's rest. 
The word of God is is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. It discerns your thoughts and intentions and your fears and your struggles and your doubts and your insecurities. It knows you. God knows you more than anyone else. And the way to find rest is not to pick up your, your instrument of choice and go to work to find that. Your job and the way you enter into that rest is actually to lay that down and to trust in what God thinks of you. To lay that down and to trust in the promise of God, the hope of the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. If you go into the battle of life with your work and your sword, you'll die by it. You will die by it. It will kill you. It will, you'll, you'll, uh, it'll try, you will use that to, the people were taking the swords and they were t- using the swords as, a, as their own personal savior. We will be saved by this, by our effort, by the strength of our might. And God said, that's what will kill you. If we want to enter into God's rest, we have to stop working just like God did. We have to stop with our disobedience. We have to wholeheartedly trust him. We have to lay down our, our tools, our, our weapons. We need to lay down that sword that we've been trusting in. And, it, and it, to do that, we have to know the reasons that we do anything in life. What is it? What are the things that we pick up? What's the reasons why we do anything or put effort into anything? Is it to be our own savior? Is it, is it to impress God or impress others? Is it to find acceptance and approval from others? And he's saying, you must abandon those things. You must abandon those things that you were trusting in and you need to start trusting in the gospel wholeheartedly for your rest. God rested in order to fully delight in the satisfaction of his work. And, and if we want to enter into God's rest, we must do the same to fully delight in the sat- and sat- be satisfied in the work of God, not our work. We must take full delight and satisfaction in his work. Verse 10 says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his there's another kind of work than the work of creation. See, there's a couple of works in here too. God created all the universe in six days and then he rested, but then there's more work going on here. We are told to, to rest in God's work and not ours. And we know that God, he stopped the work of creation, but there's more work that he did. Not in re- creation, but actually redemption and recreation of our hearts. It's so interesting in John chapter six, Jesus comes along and he's working, uh, the, uh, he's, he's talking with the lady at the, the, the Samaritan woman and his disciples come along and they realize he's just famished and hungry and he's exhausted from being out in the day and in the sun all day. And they say, are you hungry? We can go get you some food. And he said, in, in the perfect Jesus fashion, my food is to do the, the work of God. <laughs> so no, like you don't want us to go. My food is to do the work of God. And then the night that before Jesus was crucified, having loved all that God had given to him, Jesus prays to his heavenly father and he says in his prayer, I have glorified you and I have completed the work that you gave me to do. And then the next day when he died on the cross, his last words that he uttered out was, it is finished. What is finished? The work 
his work, all his working, his work of redemption for us. He finished that work so that we could lay down our striving and rest in him to enter into that promised soul-satisfying rest, to fully delight in his work and not ours. You realize this, how, how this will transform everything in your life. If you lay down your striving and rest in what he has done, Jesus says, I've done it for you. It is finished. The work that you and I are always doing, the work that you and I are always doing to find meaning, purpose, acceptance, accomplishment in this world and with God, he says, I've done it all for you. I have perfected it all for you. You don't have to work anymore. So just delight in me. When you work in the work that I've given to you, do it not not for acceptance, not for accomplishment, not for status. You have that. You have it all in me. Do it for joy. Do it for glory. Do it for pleasure. Do it for satisfaction. Do it to serve. How can you lay down your self-righteous work? Because you know the only one who truly can judge you and who sees your heart and lays it bare before him He accepts you through the outpouring of his grace. That's how you know that you can lay down your self-righteousness, your self-sufficiency. You can lay down all those instruments. And I like how our author puts it, when's it a good day to do this? He says, anytime it's called today. And like I like to say, any day that ends in Y. That's a good day to trust in God. When's it good? When's it good to lay down your self-righteous works and trust in God? How about today? Can't do it today? Then I'll ask you the same thing tomorrow. How about today? Whenever it's called today, do not harden your hearts, but accept that rest. God offers it to you. Let's not fail to enter into it.